Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Uh, we've just kind of been un- unpacking the letter of Hebrews over the course of the summer, and there's a, uh, there's a handout on your bulletin. You can follow along with me there. And, uh, and then there, uh, I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and, and take it and read it and, and learn more about the God that we worship, the God of the Bible. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, of, of uh, change at Coastal Community Church. Maybe you're not aware of that, right? Change is, change is hard, you know? And as I was thinking about uh, this, this uh, chapter this morning, and I think it's, it's important for us to remember that uh, this letter was written to some people who are going through some fairly significant changes. I mean, this letter's written right at the kind of the, the phasing out of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, and now the New Covenant has begun because of the person and work of Christ. And so these people that are receiving this letter, many are thinking about leaving Christianity and returning back to the old way of doing things, uh, in part, well, there's part mostly because they're being persecuted for following Christ, but probably in part because change is difficult, yes? And we know, as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, our church body, well, we're not being persecuted, thank the Lord, but, uh, you know, we, we've been through a lot of change. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I mean, six, seven weeks ago, we were in a whole different location worshiping and, and you know, we, and, got, and we as a church, you know, and I'm going to remind you, but, you know, in just a minute, but why we moved here, but, uh, you know, this was, a, I, I think probably six weeks in, maybe a little bit of the newness has worn off for you, it has for me a little bit, now you're like, this is really different, right? You know, like it's a big change. I'm, I'm sitting in a new spot. I'm, uh, you know, parking in a new spot. And, and in fact, maybe you even in some regards miss what I would call the bells and whistles of the old place. Remember that? And so let me just remind you, did you know that at the old building, we went over a year before we had a curtain behind the stage. Did you know that? You probably don't remember that. I remember that, right? And so, you know, we, we, went, um, we went almost three years in the old building before we were able to put up the kind of soundproofing that we needed so that the room would sound nicer. How many of y'all remember that, right? And how many remember the nice twinkly LED lights we had at the old building? Like they were neat and they could change colors. You know, we didn't even get those till about two years ago, right? And so, and so we're kind of growing into what God has given us. And so it just reminded me, you know, that, you know, like why did, why did we move here? Do you remember that? Why, why, did we, why did we take this journey together? And, and we started, it was really it had everything to do with the Great Commission, right? That we're to, 
make Jesus famous in every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so here in our local community where God has planted us to serve him in the local church, we had outgrown our own building. We didn't have enough room for children. We didn't have enough room for parking. We didn't have enough room for seating. And so we began to pray for it. Lord, we need to tackle these three things, right? And it really was, it was grounded in the great commission of making Christ famous here on the peninsula. Remember that? How many remember that, right? And so, you know, and so, you know, we're kind of, and so because of that, we've made some pretty radical changes, right? Um, we're feeling it behind the scenes, you know, even on the staff, you know, at the old building, there was a bunch of us piled into a couple offices up and down a hallway. If you needed somebody, you didn't even have to get up and what you just shouted next door, hey, I need you, you know, and so, and so now you kind of get up and go, man, I need to go see so-and-so, and you walk down the hall, and you get to their office, and their office is empty, and then by the time you get back to their, your office, you realize they walked around the other way, and you crossed in the building somewhere, and, and so we're feeling it too, right, even behind the scenes, and so, and so I keep coming back to you, man, why did God lead us on this journey, and it was about the commission, the great commissioning. By the way, did you know, just let me give you a little celebration point, because it's hard, change is hard, and so I want to give you some celebration points, Okay. We've been in this building for six weeks. In six weeks, we've had, uh, I don't want to misquote here, so let me get my glasses on. All right, we've had over 340 first-time guests give us information. Think about that. That's incredible, right? And so uh, it's, it represents about 125 families that have come through the doors and given us information. Hey, we visited. We want a little more information about Coastal Community Church. Last week, um, we had our highest non-Easter children's attendance, all right? We had 256 kids, fifth grade and under, in our children's ministry. If you can imagine that, okay? So, and so, you know, I, I, there's a lot of points I could make out of that. Uh, if you want to serve in children's ministry, there's room for service, okay? So uh, that's not where we're going. But, you know, change is difficult, right? And so, and I feel like in some ways, I wanted to take a moment and say, you know, we, we probably in some ways can, can resonate with some of what the hearers of this letter are going through that, that change is always difficult because they're moving from the shadows of the old covenant to the new covenant and what God is doing in the new covenant. I'm going to use some words interchangeably this morning, okay? Uh, covenant and testament are very similar, okay? And so hopefully you know your Bible is broken down in between two essentially larger covenants. There's other smaller covenants in the unfolding story of God, but there's the old covenant and the new covenant and the line of demarcation of that is Jesus Christ, right? And so I hope you know that. And so, you know, and so this morning we're going to talk about how Jesus Christ is superior over the old covenant. Now the old covenant is simply a shadow or was a shadow of things to come. And Pastor Andrew spent some time on this last week. One of the things that hopefully you're picking up on is, is the, the letter of Hebrews is like a typical preacher. If you ever wonder like, why does the preacher repeat himself over and over and over in the sermon, right? You ever wonder that? Like the sermon could be a lot shorter if you just say the one point and move on. We get it from the Bible, okay? The Bible just repeats itself sometimes, right? So this author, is, he's kind of repeating himself to build a, a larger point. And so how's that? Anyway, so, you know, and one of the things that I want to encourage you with is that, you know, I think we think sometimes when God asks us to change that he's holding out on us right? Now I'll explain that in a minute, but, but God never asks us to do something or make a change where he doesn't have something better in mind. 
And so these people are wrestling with the shadows of the old covenant. They maybe want to go back to the old way of worshiping God. And God's saying, no, there's a new covenant. And the new covenant is way, it's superior. And Jesus is superior over that covenant, if you will. And so, and, and so sometimes we want to look back. And we do this in our personal lives all the time. Like in the area of sin, right? Like if you're going to follow God, what's about, how do we follow God? Well, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we connect to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We've got to repent which means to change, to turn from our sin and believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't repent because we think the old way of doing things is really better than what God has for us in the future, right? I mean, think about this in the area of maybe sex. Right? The Bible teaches sex is made for one man and one woman in the covenant or in the confines of marriage. And so a lot of us, man, we do it the way the world says we should do it because we think that's actually better than what God is offering us. True? And so we got to change our thinking and our heart and our belief and our trust that God's way is actually better. A lot of us, you know, uh, think about this with your money, right? Like you're not generous with your money. This isn't a money sermon, by the way, but... You know, like one of the things that, you know, my I've shared testimony of our family, like we see 10% to the local church as the starting point of generosity. We, we try to grow from there. And, and some of y'all are growing in that. And like, you know that. And like, like, you don't, there's people in your life, like family members, or whatever, you don't even tell that you're generous with your money because they think you're nuts, right? You give away 12, 15, 20% of your, are you, have you lost your mind? Because money's your security, Right? Right? Okay, hopefully, like, no. And so, you know, and so you don't give your, fi- your financial resources away unless you believe God has something better for you, yes? That you literally can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so you believe the things of God, that God doesn't ask us to change unless what he's asking us to change to is actually better. C.S. Lewis, and I'm paraphrasing his illustration, but he says, you know, most of us, we're content to play in a mud puddle and make mud pies when God is offering us a cruise at sea, all right? And so to repent, to turn from our old ways and trust God is this idea of understanding God is good. And I can think of 10,000 reasons to praise him. And he does have better things in store for me. And so the new covenant, the author here is saying, listen, the new covenant is better than the old covenant because the old covenant was just external in nature. It just, it was kind of an outward thing reminding us that this new thing was coming and this new thing is going to be superior to the old thing. Okay. Hebrews chapter nine, verse nine, the author says, this is an illustration pointing to the present time for the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offered, they're not able to cleanse the consciences of people who bring them. For the old system deals, and here's where he says, kind of the outward things, right? It deals with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. By the way, one of the things, I could, I could preach a whole sermon on some of the things I think are new of the new covenant, but one of the things that are new to the new covenant is, I believe, the idea that the Holy Spirit now resides in all of us, right? When you become a Christian, 
the Bible says that no, it's no longer an external thing. It's an inward thing. We're, we're being changed from the inside out to being more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the work of God. This is why the, the Holy Trinity is so important. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. It's changing you and he's molding you and he's shaping you. And the prophet Ezekiel hints at it and, and the uh, author of Hebrews here uh, quotes this text and some others in Ezekiel 36 where the prophet Ezekiel speaking for the Lord says, man, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your, own, your, your, your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender and responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you and so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And so the Holy Spirit takes up residence if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and, and begins to shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. I'm not going to tell you that I never preach with conviction, okay? But I'm, I'm always careful. Like, I don't feel the need, if you're here this morning as a Christian, I don't feel the need to manipulate you, okay? And I know I preach with passion. I preach with conviction because I believe that the Bible is God's word to us, right? And when we bend a knee to the Lordship of Christ and we follow the things that are in the word of God, like it really is a better path. It's the path of life rather than the path of death. And so I'm passionate about that. But I try not to be manipulative. And here's why. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, guess what I believe about you? The Holy Spirit's in you. It's my job to preach the word and teach it is true, but the Holy Spirit takes it. The Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide you in things and mold you. I don't, I don't have to pressure you or shame you or manipulate you. I may give you the truth, but I'm going to let the, the truth and the spirit do its work inside of you. Because that's what he does. He's in you. He's changing. He's molding you in the image of Christ. And so the Old Testament is just shadows of the New Testament. Every promise of the Old Testament is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see Jesus on every page. And Pastor Joey did a great job. And by the way, Pastor Joey and Pastor Andrew, thank you so much for preaching the last couple of weeks. So you know, Hebrews chapter seven is like the toughest passage in the New Testament to make practical. And so that's why I gave it to Joey. I'm like, I don't want to preach on Melchizedek. I have no idea what to say about that. So I gave it to him. I said, good luck with this one, okay? And so, uh, but you know, he did a great job of reminding us that we find Jesus on every page of the Old Testament because he's the fulfillment and superior over the new covenant. Hebrews 9.11 says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that uh, has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle, which is in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of the created world. All the details, and by the way, I've encouraged you to read the first five books of the Bible. I hope you've done that to give you a better understanding of Hebrews. You know, but God gives Moses in detail what the Old Testament tabernacle should look like. I mean, every single detail. And some of y'all, like, you're probably the engineer types, like, you love that. Like, oh, this is really cool. And some of us that are not engineer types are like, why is he doing all that? The reason, I don't have time to take you through all of that, but if I had time to take you through all the details of the tabernacle, we could talk about how Jesus, in his earthly ministry, fulfilled every detail of what uh, was just a shadow of the tabernacle because Jesus is now taking us to a new tabernacle called heaven. Does that make sense? It's one of the reasons I'm very, very careful about calling this a church building, okay? It's not a temple. God doesn't live here. He's seated at the right hand of heaven, we t the heavenly father. He's praying us home and he's taking us to a place called heaven, okay? And so 
And so Jesus, the old covenant is superior to the new covenant. And the new co- and so here's some ways in which the new covenant is superior. Number one, new covenant is superior. Why? We have a new sanctuary. We already hinted at that, right? That Jesus has a more perfect tabernacle that's in heaven. Hebrews 9, verse 11. All right, the new covenant has a better sacrifice. Okay, remember the old sacrifice of lambs and goats, Hebrews 9, verse 12. But now there's a better sacrifice. It's the blood of Christ with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all, and he secured our redemption forever. The new covenant has a better sacrifice. I'm going to spare you because we've done this a couple times, but the process of that once a year atonement that the priest in the Old Testament would do. But um, last week, I thought Pastor Andrew just did a, a remarkably uncomfortable job of reminding us what it would have been like for a family um, to sacrifice that lamb of atonement. How many of y'all, I mean, let's be honest, how many of you was talking about that, you were uncomfortable with that, right? Two of us, okay, three of us were. Okay, so I was uncomfortable, okay? So I was uncomfortable. And so this morning in the first service, especially while we were singing, and I knew I was preaching on this, this idea of sacrifice and Jesus being the perfect sacrifice, and I was singing, and, and here's what God brought to mind for me as I was singing. He brought to mind what Pastor Andrew was teaching last night about the bleeding out of that lamb that would be specially the shed blood for the covering of sins. And we're gonna, I'm gonna delve deeper into this in just a minute, this idea. And as I was singing and I thought about, man, Jesus is the more perfect sacrifice And so as uncomfortable as I was with that thought of the lamb being sacrificed so there was shed blood for sin, I thought about how is it as a Christian that I can still indulge my flesh and sin and walk around as if that's okay because the cost and the price of my forgiveness is that my Savior, God's Son, Jesus Christ, was bled out like that lamb for my behalf. And when I think about his shredded back where they whipped him and they beat him, literally bleeding him out as a payment for sin, I'm like, how dare me still indulge my flesh and somehow imagine that's okay. Forgiveness, and we're gonna get to this in a moment, it's free to you and it's free to me, but man, it comes at an incredible high price to God the Father and to his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He's the perfect final one and only sacrifice. In fact, one of the thing, you know, one of the things that's new about the new covenant is the taking of the Lord's Supper. We're gonna do that on July 17th when we do the baptism. Okay. And, and as we take that bread and the fruit of the vine, we are to take that and we are to be mindful that forgiveness came at a high cost to God's Son. And we're to take that and we're to be mindful. There is a reverence when you take the Lord's Supper that, man, my my forgiveness and the guarantee of eternal life came at a very high cost. And I take those elements and I'm just reminded of the broken body of Jesus so that I can have forgiveness of sin. And so the new covenant is is the perfect covenant. It's, It's better 
It was the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the shedding of blood is a one-time sacrifice. Not like the old covenant where they had to sacrifice animals over and over and over again. This is one sacrifice that's sufficient for all. Hebrews 9.26. If that had been... if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And so he's the once and for all sacrifice. And this once and for all sacrifice obtained for us eternal redemption. Now, by the way, let me, let me talk about this for a minute. Redemption is a church word. Like we throw redemption out all the time. So let me, let me give you the big picture and let me illustrate it, okay? So redemption literally means to buy something back. Something has been sold off, something has been broken, and I'm gonna buy it back, I'm gonna redeem it, okay? I, um, Memorial Day weekend, I decided to do something that I probably have not done in about four or five years. Um, I decided to buy a pair of jeans. And so... Um, uh, you know, Memorial Day sales. I went to JCPenney. It was, it was later in the night. It was towards the end of the sale, okay? By the time I get there, everything's picked through, okay? So I realized all the short, fat people had been there before me, okay? So I'm peeking through these jeans, you know, trying to find a pair that fits me. And I found like four or five different kinds, you know, different colors. I, I go in the fitting room and I notice I had, I had picked all Levi's. Now, um, Levi's, there was Levi's everywhere. Like, you know, remember when I, I remember when I was a kid, I, and when you haven't shopped in four or five years, things have changed a lot, okay? So, you know, Levi's used to be in one section, you got your jean, you try them on, you went home. If they didn't really fit that good, too bad, okay? So, you know, you just wore them. And so those are the good old days. So there's all these different, I'm, I'm going through them all, and I'm, I find some that fit, some that don't, you know, some I like, some I don't like, and then I'm, in the back of my mind, what's going on is I, I know what kind of fit my wife likes, right? And so I'm thinking about, like, Jen's going Jen's to hate, I love this pair, she's going to hate it. And so, you know, that's kind of how that one, so, and so here, my wife and I have two different thoughts about this, like, she cares about fashion, okay, and I care about what's comfortable, like, if it fits baggy and nice, and so she wants things to be tight on me, right? That's, you know, I'll just say it, skinny jeans, okay? She wants skinny jeans. Every time I put those things on, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is, you know, I walk around like this all day, you know? And if I were to ask her, I'm like, if I were to ask Jen, like, what do you want me to dress like? She would say, I want you to dress like Pastor Joey. That's what she tells me. <laughs> I say, he works for me, you know? He works for me. So that's how, you know, that's how I want up him. So, you know, and so I go and so, and so I'm walking out with these Levi's. I find some that work and some that don't work and some I like, some don't like. And then I notice on these jeans, there are numbers on them. Did you know this? There are 501s, 505s, 512s, 527s, 569s. Like the list goes on. Did, were you all aware Levi's did this? New to me, okay? And so I walk out and there's a chart about jeans, right? And so, and so they have the various things, you know? It's like, you know, skinny jeans, skinny legs, wide around the waist, you know, all this is going on. And so I was able to find the kind of Levi jeans that's a perfect mix for me and my wife. And I was like, Levi's, you have solved all my marital struggles. Thank you so much. And so I found the perfect number, and I now know what they are. And now I have my perfect Sunday jeans. Oh, don't you like my Sunday jeans? Here they are. You're going to see these every week for the next six months. So here you go. Get used to them. 
you know, so it's like, I have my Sunday jeans and Jen and I are happy. And so I came home though and I didn't buy any because they were too expensive. And so one of the things my wife and I share in common is we're both cheap, okay? And so I'm like, I can't spend that much for jeans. That's crazy, you know, I can buy a house for that. And so, you know, so I didn't do that. And, and, uh, and so she's like, listen, I've got this thing called Kohl's cash, all right? Coal prints its own money, I guess. I didn't know. So I take my Coles cash, okay, and I got the jeans that I wanted in my price range because I was able to redeem Coles cash. Does that make sense? I was able to make an exchange and get what I wanted for the price that I wanted for. I redeemed it. Well, God has redeemed you in Christ. You have been purchased. There has been an exchange that in the economy of God, he considers a fair exchange. And it's the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ, the spilled blood. And so the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. The new covenant offers a better cleansing. It cleanses us from the inside out. Hebrews 9.13, under the old system of blood and goats and bulls and ashes and heifers, they could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. And so the new covenant works its way from the inside out, which by the way, the new covenant is not behavior modification. See, if, if you ever leave here the, and what you've heard taught was, hey, when you leave here, be good for goodness sakes. Okay, we're talking about Santa Claus, all right? Now, there are, exhortations or challenges in the scripture where we are to walk in obedience, but the New Testament, the new covenant is always clear that this is an inside out thing. So in other words, we have bowed a knee in lordship to Jesus Christ. We're now a worshiper of Jesus Christ and now the Holy Spirit gets deposited in our hearts and he is now changing us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which means as we grow in Christ, we should be hating our sin and loving the righteousness of God. And so now we walk in obedience as an opportunity to worship Jesus Christ, not in order to earn anything. Does that make sense? So it's not be good for goodness sakes. It's to grow into who you are as a child of God. Does that make sense? And so it's an outside, an inside out thing, not the other way around. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant because the spirit of God and the word of God change our hearts and our minds from the inside out. Now, let's talk about the instituting of the new covenant, okay? How do, the, the author, because that's what the author does. How do we institute the new covenant? Well, a will or a testament, okay? A will or a testament demands a death, right? A, a, a new covenant, a, new, a will is, and so probably many of you in this room, if you're, if you're parents, probably you should have a will. If you don't, you should, okay? So, uh, but the will does not take charge, 
or does not take place until you've died, right? Until then, you're still in charge. In fact, you, you can even go back and change the will. I tell my kids this all the time. It's part of my disciplinary process. Like, you're, you're in or out. You're not sure yet, you know? And so, you know, you can go back. It's not until a person dies that the will takes effect. And that's what the author here is saying. In fact, you know, that's why even in our culture, we, make, we prove that the person has passed first. There's been people who tried to cheat the system and, and get certain resources that weren't theirs yet. Hebrews says this, the author of Hebrews 16, Hebrews 9 verse 16. Now when someone leaves a will, it's necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. This will, this, the will goes into effect only when the person's death. And while the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. The new covenant has the same application. It has to it requires the death of the one who wrote it. Jesus's death was the institution, was the, was the inauguration of the new covenant, okay? Which leads to the forgiveness of God's demands by the shedding of blood. Now I wanna park here for a minute. Forgiveness of God demands the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.18 this is why the, even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. And then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God made with you. In the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, what does it say, church? What does it say next? There's what? Now, before we move on, let me ask you a question. Does that seem a little radical to you? I mean, I want you to picture this. All right, here's what he's saying. At the institution of the Old Covenant. Now, here's something the Old Covenant and the New Covenant actually shared in common. Okay, so at the institution of the Old Covenant under Moses, Moses is walking around with hyssop branches dipped in blood and dipped in water and just spraying blood all over the place. Am I the only one that goes, that's weird and that's disgusting, right? Yet God says, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. What's that about? Like in our cult, modern culture, people, you should probably, probably should recoil from that a little bit. Like what's going on? The reason this is so, well, number one, is because God ordained it that way. And number two, God wants to teach us something about the seriousness of his character. Okay? I'm going to give you a church word. Before I do this, I want, you to, I want you to contemplate a thought. Did you know that God doesn't simply wave his hand or his magic wand and forgive your sin? Like, we think that sometimes. God didn't just go, oh, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. So let me talk about this for a minute. Here's the church word. The church word is propitiation, okay? The reason that there has to be shedding of blood is the church word propitiation, okay? 
First John chapter four, verse eight, the apostle John talks about this. He says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a, now some of your older versions of the Bible, just throw in the word here, propitiation, okay? The NLT has decided to pull out the word propitiation and actually define it for us, okay? God's, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins, so the, so the big church word, propitiation, is rooted in two characteristics of God that you have to understand to understand why there's a shedding of blood and why Jesus had to be the perfect sacrifice. Number one, God loves you. He loves you. He created you. He wants to be in relationship with you. In fact, for you to really know your purpose in life, you gotta be connected to your creator, and if you're disconnected from your creator, it means you're going to run through life without purpose, without understanding. And God desires to have a relationship with you. In fact, the idea of propitiation is, is related to this idea that God loves you. So there has to be a shedding of blood. Why? Because God loves you. So, so what's the other piece of this? The other piece is the characteristic of God's holiness, that means that God is set apart. God is not like you. God is without sin. To understand the holiness of God, you've got to understand that God's very character, while God is love, and by the way, when we run around in this culture, everyone stops there. God is love. Well, yes, he's love. Of course he's love. That's, if you want to know the love of God, understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He couldn't have loved you any more than understanding why he sent his son. But his character doesn't stop with just love. God is also holy. He's set apart. He will consume sin. And so his holiness demands a sacrifice because if there was no payment for sin, guess what? We would be worshiping a God who is not just either. He would be random and incomprehensible to us. So he's also just, he's true to his very nature and character. And so the sacrifice of sin is a visual reminder to us. The shedding of blood is a visual reminder to us about how much our God hates sin because it's a rebellion against his nature. So where does that leave you and me? Because we've already read that God's going to, he's, he's, he's forming a new temple, a new tabernacle that's called heaven. And one of the things I look forward to, I look forward to in heaven, is when my faith becomes sight and, and this flesh, by the way, it's kind of the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Is God's kingdom now? Yes. Is it not yet? Yes. It's not until the future, okay? In this in-between time, we wrestle with our sin, and I look forward to the day when I'm completely free from my sin nature, right? So we're being taken to this place that's perfect. So let's talk about that for a minute. I want to ask you a question. Some of you don't know, this is rhetorical, okay? <clears throat> um, have you ever 
fudge the truth just a little bit. I mean, just a little bit to make yourself look a little bit better. You're telling the story, you exaggerate the story just a little bit to make yourself look better. Or maybe to put somebody else down, you tell a story to shade the truth just a little bit to make yourself look better. What's that called? It's called a lie. Like, like it's easy to think, well, it's just a little white lie. Well, if you tell a little white lie, what does that make you? Some of y'all struggle with that. Okay, if you tell a lie, what does that make you? Liars aren't going to heaven. We already live in that place. Did you know that? God set man and woman, Adam and Eve in the perfect garden. One little old sin crept in and we see the result every day. So if he's taking us to the perfect place, liars aren't getting in. Jesus said, Man, let me talk to you for a minute, right? Jesus said, if you even look at a woman that's not your wife and you go, man, I wouldn't mind, I'm just gonna be crass for a minute, ready? Because this is what runs through our heads sometimes. Man, I wouldn't mind shacking up with that. Like when that runs through your heads, the Bible says, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, you can look it up for yourself. Jesus said, the seeds of adultery are already in your heart, so what does that make you? It's hard to say, isn't it? We don't even want to say it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, if you're ever angry at someone, and in your anger, forgetting that that person is special to God and created in the image of God, you shout out, man, you, I won't say it because I might get fired, right? When you do that, Jesus said, if you ever call someone a fool out of anger, that is the seed of what? Anybody know? It's the seed of murder. Now, you didn't murder somebody. You didn't see it to its, maybe to its full extreme, but what's going on in your heart is you are angry at someone because they've done you wrong. And even though they're created in the image of God, and even though God loves them and they've done you wrong, you're going to be angry. And that's the seed of murder. And guess what? Murderers aren't getting into heaven. We can't even have the seeds of that. Have you ever been out where maybe you have a, you go out with a friend and you have a mutual friend and the two of you go out for coffee and all the time while you're out with coffee, you are shredding the person that is not there. Well, you're not going to believe what he did. You're not going to believe what she did. And then you go on and you're shredding this person, you're shredding this person all the while that you're forgetting that they're created in the image of God and God loves them and you're shredding them and you don't have the guts to say it to their face because if you had the guts to say it in your face, that means you cared about them and you wanted to see them grow and be a better person, be more like Christ. But instead, you're going to shred them behind your back and the Bible calls that what? Calls it gossip. Ever done that? I have too, right? So guess what? Gossipers are not getting into heaven. Anybody here concerned a little bit? Any, are you beginning to feel the weight of your sin and why we can't take it with us to this perfect place? Do you understand why we need to be redeemed? Do you understand what's going on in the character of God? Why God hates this stuff called sin and he hates it so much that here's what he did for you. He loves you, but he hates sin. And you're a sinner. 
And so what's the dilemma? Well, here's how he fixes his very own character dilemma. Ready? And here's the phrase I use. Self-satisfaction through self-substitution. Here's what that means. God satisfied his own demands of holiness by substituting his own son, Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath and God's hatred on sin on your behalf so that by grace through faith, forgiveness may be freely offered to you, but it cost God everything. Isn't that amazing? Ready for the big word? Propitiation. The shedding of blood. God's son, Jesus Christ. So that by grace through faith, forgiveness is freely offered to you. And therefore, Jesus has this new covenant that's superior to the old covenant. And he, Jesus, is superior to the new covenant. And he who started the work is going to bring it to completion. So let me finish with this this morning. Jesus is gonna bring the new covenant to completion. Here it is, ready? The completion of the new covenant is found in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people and he will come again. Why will he come again? Not to deal with our sins. That was the first advent, okay? Where do you hear advent, by the way? Where do you hear that word a lot? What time of year? Christmas, right? The word means coming, okay? So the first coming of Christ, he came to deal with sin, by bearing its weight and penalty, right? He, but the next time he comes, it will be to, to bring salvation. He's gonna finalize salvation to all who are eagerly, eagerly awaiting for him. Two things I wanna draw out and then we'll close, okay? The first is, you and I have an appointment. You and I have an appointment. It's man's appointment. I think verse 27 is one of the great reminders in scripture, right? I'm gonna tell you something. It, if you don't take anything else with you today, take this in the back of your head today and meditate on it. Verse 27 says, and just as each person is destined to die, how many times? Once, right? And then after that comes this appointment with God. I mean, this is a sobering thing to keep in mind. And by the way, just, just for fun, because I've done this too, right? But I want to be, be clear in your thinking. Like we've let this little subtlety kind of drift into our language that you need to be aware of. We do this all the time. And the subtlety is Hinduism, which is a false teaching of the script. It's not what the Bible teaches, right? And here's what we do. We usually say it jokingly, but I want you to be clear what you're saying. Hey, when I come back in my next life, I'm going to, right? Have you ever said that? I'm the only one admitting I've said that, right? Okay, yeah, I've said that. It's, it's usually a joke. It's when I come back, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna torment you or something like that, you know, and blah, 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 whatever. Just to be clear, that's Hinduism and the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that you have another life where you kind of get to go around the globe a few more times. The Bible doesn't teach, well, don't worry about getting it right in this life because... Maybe you can come back as and get it straight that time. And the Bible is very clear. It is appointed once for a man to die. And after that, they will stand before God and give some kind of an account of their life. Yes? 
And this is why, by the way, the author spends probably three whole chapters of this letter saying, listen, today is the day of salvation. Because when you, get, when you stand before God, okay, you're either going to stand there as a liar and a murderer and an adulterer and a gossip and, and on and on the list goes of all your mess, or you are going to stand there saying, I have bowed a knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And because I've bowed a knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, my sin has been paid for on the cross and all the good works of Christ's life called righteousness have now been credited to my spiritual bank account. So not only do I stand here cleansed, I actually stand here in your presence perfect, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical doctrine of justification. And so when you stand there on that day, you say, uh, my only hope on this day at my appointment is Jesus. Isn't that good news? And it's why at Coastal, we're always going to preach and teach that. And it's why we're going to lift up that standard. And by the way, here's your so what today. Like I don't have some big closing point this morning, except to say this. At Coastal, we're always going to lift up Jesus because he's superior over the new covenant, which is our only hope. That's why we need to take that message to our community, to our nation, and to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Because it is appointed once for a man to die and after that they will stand before God and their only hope is they can stand there in their own mess and God's gonna reveal their heart for what it really is or they're gonna stand there clothed in the gospel and the righteousness of God's son, Jesus Christ. It's their only hope. That's why the author of Hebrews says over and over and over, today, 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 today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off another day. And so Jesus, when he returns, he's going to complete what he started at his first advent. Jesus is going to complete what he started at his first advent. All of his enemies will be put in subjection to his rule. Sin will be completely vanquished. Our wrestle with sin will be over and we will sin no more. Sin was dealt with by Jesus' first coming. He stared it down and, he and it was defeated by our Savior. And at his second coming, he will save us to the uttermost. Good news? Are you encouraged in the gospel this morning? I hope so. I... Um, Finish with this, we'll close with prayer. I'm hesitant to say this, so parents, you navigate this with your kids as you see fit. Um, some of you are like, uh-oh. Uh, <clears throat> many years ago, I saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. And uh, I, think, I think there's a place for that, actually. I think at some point, if parents, as your kids get older, probably be, and when they're old enough to handle it, I, I would show them that. Um... I remember I actually saw the movie for the first time on Memorial Day. Uh, my wife was away. I had served at the church, came home, and I'd rented it. And, and I literally, I watched the opening scene. The opening scene was Saving Fire Ryan. It, that's what you need to see at some point um, was D-Day. And our boys and allies storming the beaches of Normandy, Omaha Beach, and securing that foothold eventually led to the victory of World War II. And... As I watched that opening scene, I just saw the bloodshed and the sacrifice of our young men. I mean, as the gates of these boats would drop down and just the complete sacrifice of human life for the cause of finishing World War II. And it, I just, I got done and I just wept. I actually, I paused the movie and I just wept 
And I was just so grateful. It gave me a new sense of gratitude for the men and women that served this country and those young men um, back in the 40s that made that incredible sacrifice for us. And here's the point I want to draw out of that. D-Day was not the finish of the war, was it? Uh, It was close, though. It was very close. Um, The war went on for about 11 more months before victory was declared. Up to that point, we had struggled four or five years, I think five years of war up to that point, and then D-Day. And so if you know your history, taking of Omaha Beach essentially secured the victory, okay? Now, the war was not over. There was 11 more months of skirmishes and wars, of course, and bloodshed along the way, but, but that was the day that victory was assured. Does that make sense? And so, in like mind, like manner, Jesus hung on the cross and he said, what? What did he say? It is what? So, if it's finished, why am I still here? If it's finished, why am I still battling with my sin, right? And here's why, okay? The victory, that was the beginning of an assured victory. Does that make sense? That is going to find its completion at Jesus' second coming. In fact, by the way, the beginning of this letter, and it even hinted at it here in chapter 9, the beginning of this letter started with this, remember? In these last, what? We have been in the last days since Christ ascended into heaven. We're in the final chapter. It wasn't when Israel became a nation in the 40s, okay? It has been since the book of Hebrews was written. In these last days, and he's setting in motion. So why hasn't Jesus returned yet? You ready? You ready for this? And hopefully this motivates you. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet if it is finished? What are we waiting for? Here's what we're waiting for. Ready? We see it in Revelation. We get a little glimpse in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. We get this little glimpse into the heavenlies. And what do we see? Here's what we see around the throne room of God in the heavenlies. Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, right? So why are we still here? We are here to make Christ famous. Here on the peninsula, here in our nation, And every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world, we have to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ so people don't stand before God on their day of appointment and they stand there in their own filth and their own mess, condemned in their sin because God is holy. Rather, they stand there clothed in the righteousness of Christ because we have been a part of taking the gospel message to every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what we're about, Coastal Community Church. Amen? Amen. We want to lift up Christ. We want to worship Christ personally, and we want to be on mission to make him famous all across the globe. He is superior over the new covenant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encouragement this morning. Thank you for the bloodshed of Christ who submitted to the will of his heavenly Father, and he paid the price that we owed and could never possibly repay And so that we stand by grace alone, through faith alone, in the gospel of Jesus. We stand in your presence, clean and perfect, not because of what we've done, but because of the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so at Coastal, your people, we will worship him. We will worship Christ as superior over the new covenant. 
We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you it's no longer an outward, outward thing, but it's an inward thing that the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And he's molding us and shaping us, convicting us of sin, not letting us take sin lightly, but making us hate our sin and love righteousness and love Christ all the more. And as your people, we go out this day worshiping Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, superior over the new covenant. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.